Hey, you! Are you filthy? Don't have time to shower or tired of people making fun of you for showering in a bathing suit? Lasers! Shower yourself with the newest body spray and hide that stench. Even though you're not the slightest bit clean, no one notices because all they smell is the strong rust of hot midnight tiger sweat. Hey, you! Don't you wish hiding your sins was that easy and effective? Of course you do! Now it is with the new Axe Body Spray. Cover yourself with Axe Green with Envy, and your friends will never notice how you struggle with jealousy. Do you have a study date, but the only anatomy you want to study is each other? Spray Axe, we're just doing homework spray, and your parents will have no problem with your new study habits. Use Axe Eyes on Your Own Pepper Spray and hide the fact you are using a cheat sheet on the big test. Snuck out past curfew? Look behind you! Only to get caught by your parents? Failed! With Axe Parental Approval Spray, your parents will actually be proud of you! Unfail! We know it's difficult to share your struggles and surrender your sins. That's why we've designed these revolutionary sprays that will hide your sins so you can go on living that double life. Thanks, Axe Body Spray. You're welcome! Really? Isn't that how it is? We spend so much time, even as Christians, trying to, to cover up our sin, trying to hide our sin. And you know what the best way we do that is? Is to not be honest with our sin. We, live, we, we are in a community that God designed for honesty and confession. And we're going to hear today um, about the, the nation of Israel confessing their sins and how even our personal sin will get in the way of us moving into what God has for us. And so often, our dishonesty or our hiding our sin from other believers is the biggest thing. I know it is for me. It's the biggest thing that gets in the way of my moving forward into redemption and God healing me in a big way from that sin and from the results of that sin. Anybody else identify with that? That we just, we do so well. I mean, Heather and I sat up here a, a few months ago and just told you how we got to be experts at hiding our sin and hiding what was wrong with us. We just, we just take the spray and we put that on. But this is a community of people that we can be honest with each other. God wants us to be continually reminded of our need for a Savior. That's why we confess. God already saved us if he saved you. But we confess to remind ourselves that we can't do it alone, that we need a Savior, and God wants us to move into what he has for us, but so often we spray, and, and, it, and it gets in the way. So we're going to sing now, and we're going to sing praise to God, and just take this moment, even as the offering comes around, just to be reminded of what God has given to us, and be reminded as to how we can freely just open our lives and give back to him, and there's so many more ways than just giving money to do that. Uh, but the offering is going to come around, and we're just going to sing praise. And in this moment, if you are in that place that personal sin is getting in your way, start here by being honest with your God. God, we just want to give ourselves to you. We want to sing praises to you. We sing Hosanna. We want to lift your name on high in the place that you deserve. God, continually remind us of our need for a Savior. I pray that you would urge us to confess this morning and to be real in this place, in this community. We pray these things in Jesus' name and in that power. Amen. You can have a seat. All right, awesome. Okay. Figure that one out. Uh, excuse my peer strength there. Okay. 
We're working out. All right, uh, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, I'm battling a little bit of uh, something or other. Um, I think I was not feeling well, and I made the wise decision to go to the Iowa State game on, a, uh, on Friday, and sitting in the end zone, that wind is blowing in my face the entire time, and uh, I was probably using my voice a little more than I, I should have that day, but uh, so I'm recovering a little bit, so if I got a little deeper voice, uh, I apologize, but we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8 today, Nehemiah chapter 8. If you've not been here in our study in Nehemiah, I want to give you kind of a quick uh, synopsis of what we've talked about, and Nehemiah is a guy, uh, he, he was cupbearer to the king, he was in a position of authority, and his brother comes, and what had happened prior to this is uh, the, the, the Jews um, ha- had returned to Jerusalem, okay, so they'd returned to Jerusalem, it was uh, about 589, um, uh, I think it was 589, I'm kind of working off my memory, or 589 where they go into exile, okay, and they head to Babylon, and remember Alan talked about a while back when we were going through the, the book of Daniel, that in exile they were marched basically from here to what would be you know, similar to, to Atlanta. So now they're in exile. They're now returning. This is about 538 B.C. Many of the Jews have now returned to Jerusalem. And the book of Ezra, which is it before uh, Nehemiah, kind of tells the story of their return and then tells the story of the temple being rebuilt. And the temple's finally finished about 515 B.C., Ezra returns, I think it was 458 B.C., and his his passion and his heart is for the people, that they know the Word of God, that he teaches the Word of God, that they understand the Word of God. The walls have still not been rebuilt, though. And remember, Nehemiah's brother comes to him and shares the news with him. The walls are broken and the gates are burned, and Nehemiah immediately, he, he mourns, he weeps, and he begins to fast and pray for God's people. He begins to prast and pray for Jerusalem. And he's moved not by the fact, remember, that the walls have been broken and the gates have been burned. That was 139 years prior. But he is moved and he's broken because God's people are not worshiping God. That the city of Jerusalem is not the beacon that God had intended it to be. Remember again, that that picture of Jerusalem is is like the church. It's a picture of the church today. That is that we are to be the beacon to, to display God's awesomeness and his power to the world around us. And so Jerusalem was to be that beacon, and it was not at that time. And so Nehemiah begins to pray, he begins to fast, and ultimately he goes to the king and he tells him, I want to go back. I want to see the walls rebuilt. And again, his passion is not for the walls. He knew that that was essential to to what his real passion was happening. But his passion was that God's people would be restored to their God that God's people would once again begin to worship him. God's people would once again know his word, know what his word said, and begin to do it. And so that's what what Nehemiah's heart is. That's what his passion is. And he finally returns to Jerusalem and begins to build, and this project begins to happen. And we talked about two weeks ago in Nehemiah chapter 6, in 52 days, the walls are completed. The gates are, are are restored. And here it is, and the, the world around him even takes notice. And, and we're, we're told in Nehemiah chapter 6 that those around noticed what had happened, and they said, surely this had to be of God. That's what kind of event took place. After being broken and burned for 140 years and 52 days, Jerusalem is restored. And seemingly the, the story could end there, and we could 
we could end it and see the walls built. Okay, this great project is finished. The walls are built. The gates are in place. But obviously, the, the book of Nehemiah doesn't end in chapter 6. Because the real story of the book of Nehemiah is the restoration of God's people to him. The real passion of Nehemiah is not the walls being rebuilt, but the restoration of God's people. That God's people would once again worship their God. That God's people would once again know what the Bible says, know what the law says, and follow it. And so that, that's where we are in Nehemiah chapter 8. That's where we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. And this is the story, if you go from, from Nehemiah 7 on, this is the story of God's people being restored. Okay, The walls are in place, the gates are in place, and now here we are in chapter 8, the restoration of God's people. Here's what it says. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one in the square before the water gates. All the people. The seventh month came. I just got to temp a little. Jesse informed me about a week ago I got a cataract in my right eye. Thanks for that, Jesse. Uh, so I can no longer see quite as well. But um, uh, All right, chapter 8. Uh, so the seventh month had come, and the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people assembled as one. Here's what's taking place, okay? Remember, there are 50,000 people. Get this image in your head. I was at the Iowa State game. I told you that on Friday. There was probably, probably 50,000 there, right? Yeah, thanks for the support on that. <laughs> Appreciate that. All right, there's about 50,000 people at the game. And so get this picture in your head. Here's what we've got. We've got about 50,000 people gathered, all right? The Jews are here, they're gathered. Now, I want this picture in your mind, 50,000 people. And I remember being at the Iowa State game. I act like it was a long time ago. Okay, so I was at the Iowa State game, and here's this, this picture, 50,000 people, all with the same focus, all with the same passion, all with the same excitement for, the, for one thing, right? They want to see the Cyclones win. Obviously, that was not delivered. But So here they're all gathered together, all excited about one thing, all want to see one thing, all passionate about one thing, all right? And that's... That's the picture I want you to have in your mind because that's what we've got. We've got 50,000 people gathered together with one passion, with one heart. It says they were together as one. And here's the picture in your mind, 50,000 people gathered together. So all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. I love this picture. 50,000 people gathered together, and they start chanting, basically, Ezra, 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 bring out the law. Bring out, bring out the book. We want to hear from the book. Now, get this picture in your mind. You understand what he's talking about here. He's talking about the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Could you see that? 50,000 people. All of a sudden, this is what they want. They are desiring him. They want him to read Leviticus. When's the last time you've had this kind of excitement and passion about reading Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Oh, pull it out. Read it to us. We want to hear it. We want to hear it. We want to know what it says. And so they're excited about this. 50,000 people together wanting to read, wanting to hear from God's Word. This is the first time we are in the book of Nehemiah, really, that we're introduced to Ezra. Remember, the whole book's been about who? Obviously, we haven't learned a whole lot in the last... <laughs> Six weeks hard. The book's been about Nehemiah, okay? The book's been about Nehemiah. And here, 
Ezra is introduced. And, and remember, Ezra is the book right before Nehemiah, and it tells the story. Ezra is telling the story about God's people returning to Jerusalem and the temple being rebuilt. But for the first time in Nehemiah, we hear about this guy, Ezra. And here is, here is in Ezra 7.10, this is what it says about Ezra. It says, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Ezra was a teacher of the law. Ezra knew the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He knew it, he had studied it, and he taught it. And I love this picture. Now, you need to understand, a lot of times, uh, the, the, the people this day, basically, the law had kind of been translated from Hebrew into Aramaic, so a lot of them didn't even understand it. And so uh, Ezra and, and the Levites, they have a job to do. They're not only going to read it, but they're going to teach it to the people as well. And so they come here, we, we're introduced to Ezra. He's a teacher of law. He's going to read and help them understand it. I also love this because... It's been a story about this guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah has, you know, kind of kingly gifts. He's got the gift of administration. He's got the gift of leadership. And, and here he's, he's exemplified all these qualities. But now the, his project, what he's kind of done, is over. And so instead of Nehemiah, all right, we've got this taken. Now I want to take another step. And, and Nehemiah steps up. And he, what he doesn't do is teaching and helping them understand. That's not his gift. Here he brings Ezra into the picture. I love that picture. You know, okay, God has given me gifts. I'm going to use my gifts for his kingdom. But there's also others that have gifts as well. And Ezra has been gifted to teach. Ezra is a guy who knows the scripture, gifted to teach people about the scripture, to help them understand the law. And so we get this other guy coming in the picture. And here's Ezra for the first time, a teacher of the law, a guy who's going to help him understand what he's about to read to him. So now we've got six uh, or we've got uh, 50,000 people gathered together. Okay, you got that picture, all right? We're, we're at Jack Trice Stadium. Ezra's kind of right in the middle. There's 50,000 people wanting to hear. They're excited to hear this message. And it says, as we continue on, it says, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Remember, that's the 50,000 people. He read it aloud, listen to this, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Day, should, we ought to try this sometime, all right? This is basically a five or six hour sermon on Leviticus, numbers. Wouldn't that be awesome? Would you guys be excited about that? We can get here early. It'd be like an Iowa State game. You know, think you, how many hours do we spend in an Iowa State game on a given week? Oh, three. At the game, you go up early though, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, we get here early, we can tailgate a little bit. All right, so here, here we, we've got from daybreak until noon, a six-hour, five- or six-hour message on the Old Testament law. I love that. I love that. We're going to try that sometime. Five-, six-hour message going through Leviticus. We'll do that here in a couple weeks. All right, so here it is. He's giving this, and these guys are excited about it. Not only is he going to give a five- or six-hour message on Leviticus, these 50,000 people, they're excited about it. They're probably beginning to chant, Pentateuch, Pentateuch. All right, they're, they're real excited about this message that's about to take place. We want to hear, we want to hear from the word of God. So these 50,000 people are gathered together. And there's three points. If you're taking notes, there's three things I want you to note today. And keeping in line with alliteration, you know, Austin challenged me to keep doing that. So here it is. Uh, we want to read, we want to respond, 
and redeem. Those are the three points today. Read, respond, redeem. And the first thing we see is the nation of Israel. The Israelites here in Jerusalem, they're reading God's word. They're reading God's word. And so it says from, from daybreak until noon. And so here, here's the great part about it. These guys are excited to hear it. These guys are, are, are wanting to hear what God is going to say to them. And this is an awesome thing. The God who spoke creation into existence, the God who spoke you into existence, speaks to us. Isn't that an awesome thing? And you know how he does that? Right here. The God of the universe who spoke creation into existence speaks to us today. Right here. And how many times do we want to hear from the God of the universe who spoke creation into existence? From the God who spoke me into existence and still wants to speak to me today. I love this picture from Nehemiah chapter 8 because these guys are excited. They want to hear from this creator. They want to hear from this God who still wants to speak to them. And here Ezra comes into the picture and begins to teach them from the law. I want us to think that not so much of a, okay, we oftentimes look at the Bible and, okay, here's what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm not supposed to do. And we, we, we treat the Bible kind of as a, as a more of a checklist of do's and don'ts. And we don't want to think of it that way because this is a creator. This is a God who wants to have a relationship with us. This is a God who, who wants us to know him intimately. You know, when, when Karen and I were engaged, and I've, I've told this story before, but we used to write letters back and forth, right? And she would write a letter, and I'd, I'd pour over it. I'd read it several times. Then I'd look forward to writing her letter so she could know me. And I'd read it and read it so I could know her. I mean, this is what God has given us in his word. The creator of the universe has given us a way that we can know him, that we can know him intimately. What an awesome thing, isn't it? Isn't that such a cool thing that the creator of the universe wants to know us, wants to know us deeply and intimately and has given us his word so we may do it. Here at Cornerstone, we, we, we have a belief that there's not really an authority here at the church. I mean, there is and there isn't, but we believe that our ultimate authority is God's word. We believe that the ultimate authority in this church is the Bible. Now, ultimately, we know it's God, but how do we know God? How do we know what God wants for us? Right here, right? The ultimate authority for us and for this church is what the Bible says. And we are, we are blessed to be at a church that believes that. Now, there are many churches in Des Moines that believe this is the inspired word of God. There are many churches that believe this is the authority, but there's also many churches that don't. There's also many churches that they'll pull out things they like, they'll pull out things they do, and, they, and then they kind of skip stuff and kind of do their own thing. Here, listen, this is the inspired word of God. Let me share some verses with you. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says this, every word of God is flawless. Every word of God is flawless. Every word of God is flawless. Psalm 119 talks often about the word of God. It says the word of God is trustworthy, perfect, and true. Trustworthy, perfect, and true. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit 
It judges, or dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Last verse, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. These are the inspired word of God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that every man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe this is God's word. We believe that this is the inspired words of God. All right, this is our authority. And so when you get this picture and you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, you see people who also believe that. They believe it and they want it, right? From daybreak until noon, teach the word. Let us hear it. Ezra, come and teach us. Tell us what it says. Tell us what it says. We want to know what the word of God says. We want to know what the law says. Here's, here's the reality. What Nehemiah wanted, yes, he wanted the walls rebuilt, but he wanted God's people to be restored. He wanted revival among God's people. And for revival to happen, it starts with the prayer of his people and the proclamation of his word. For revival to happen in our lives, for revival to happen in, in Johnston, for revival to happen in this church, it starts with the prayer of his people and the proclamation of his word. This is where it begins. And, and we can look back in the book of Nehemiah and we can see that it began with what? The prayer of his people. Ne Nehemiah, you go back to Nehemiah chapter one, what's he doing? He's praying, he's fasting, he's crying out to God because he wants God's people to be restored. Tim shared, even, even as Nehemiah is praying and then even when he's standing before the king, he begins to pray. Alan shared, all right, Trouble, opposition is coming, Nehemiah prays, and then he acts. And we see this throughout the book of Nehemiah, that Nehemiah is a man who prays. If he wants to see revival, he wants to see God's people restored, and he knows it begins with the prayer of his people. God's people pray. And the next thing we see is the proclamation of his word. Two things, the prayer of his people and the proclamation of his word. See, the that the prayer had begun. God wanted to see, or Nehemiah wanted to see God's people restored. So they begin to pray. They begin to pray. And then we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8, the beginning of the restoration of God's people. Because why? God's people had prayed, and now his word is being proclaimed. Here's the reality. We, we can pray all we want, but if we don't understand what we're supposed to do, how can we respond? I mean, I mean these guys can... You can see it here. The, the people of God want, they want God. They want to be restored. But, but at this point, they really don't know how. Nehemiah's praying. He's asking God. Others are praying. They're asking God to move. But until they hear the word of God, until they hear it spoken, they can't respond. And so we've seen the prayer of the people, and now we want to see the proclamation of his word. Here's the reality. Nehemiah's people, or uh, God's people here in the book of Nehemiah, they want to live differently. They want to be restored. But until the word of God is proclaimed, and until they hear the word of God, it can't happen. It's the same thing for us. You know, if you don't have a Bible, I would strongly encourage you to go get a Bible. You know, we, we believe, like I said, this is the authority here at Cornerstone Community Church. 
But if you have friends that don't have a Bible, I encourage you to give them a Bible. Here's what the Bible can give. You know, if you want to learn about salvation, you can go read through the book of John and, and learn about salvation. If there's trouble in your marriage, you can go and you can read Ephesians chapter 5 and learn about how to be a godly husband or a godly wife. If you need a little excitement in your marriage, you can go read Song of Solomon, right? All right? You guys haven't read that book before, apparently. Okay? It can add a little excitement to your marriage. Okay? The, the Bible offers this. This is what the Bible offers us. Okay? And so it happens for us to know how to live, for, for, for God's people here in Nehemiah to know how to live and how to respond, they have to know Scripture. For us to know how to live and how to respond, we need to know Scripture. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we want to be challenged. Remember, it's not just about knowledge, that knowledge is not the key. The end is not knowing, but the end is doing. That we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. That for us just to, to learn and learn and not do anything is not the point. The ultimate goal is that we hear what we're supposed to do, and then we do it. So I want to challenge you and encourage you, get into the word, read it, study it, learn it, but more importantly, respond to it. Do it. If this is the inspired word of God, if this is a love letter for, to, from God to us so we can know him and we can know how to live our lives accordingly, we need to be in it. We need to read it. We need to understand it. And ultimately, we need to respond to it. And so here in, in the book of Nehemiah, we see it. God's people hearing the word of God proclaimed. Ezra's teaching them. He's helping them understand it. He, he's, you know, translating it for them, telling them how they should live. And then here's the next thing we see. We have read the word. And the second thing we want to see is we respond to the word. So back to, to Nehemiah 8 here. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him were a lot of gentlemen, and I could read these, but I'll butcher every single name. So there's a lot of people standing beside him. Another picture. This is a great picture because we have Nehemiah. Nehemiah has kingly gifts of administration, you know, leadership, those type of things. Uh, Ezra has kind of the prophetic gifts of, of, of teaching, of preaching, those kind of things. So, but Ezra's also bringing others with him in this. They, they got a preaching team. All right, this is where we got it from. Preaching team. So Ezra opened the book. And all the people could see him because he was standing above him. All right, so they've got a platform. Uh, they've got a stage kind of set up for him. So remember, get this picture, 50,000 people wanting to hear the word of God preached. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. I love that picture. Their first response is kind of this, this respect or reverence for what was about to take place. They were going to hear the very words of God, all right? This, this is not just some, you know, the second book of the Hunger Games or something like that. This is the inspired word of God, and God's people respond accordingly. God's people know they are about to hear the very words of God, and out of respect and out of reverence, they stand up. It's a sign of reverence and respect, so they stand up. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded. All the people lifted their hands. This is a sign of them receiving blessing. Now, 
here's the deal. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty conservative people, right? On the most part, we're pretty conservative. But yet you see so many times in the Bible, as far as actions, they're not always all that conservative. You know, we're, we're oftentimes afraid that we're going to be mistaken as Pentecostal or, you know, something, something worse. So we, we oftentimes kind of keep our hands in our pocket, kind of, kind of stand still, kind of do our own thing. But oftentimes in the Scripture, we see people raising their hands to God. We see it right here. Nehemiah, Ezra, teaching the people. And the people's response as the Word of God is being preached, raising their hands. And what do they say? What, what's it say right after this? We don't want to get too Pentecostal. We're getting a little crazy right now. We've got our hands up. And they responded, amen, amen. We agree. We agree. Let, can we try that? Amen. Alan could do it. Amen. Amen. That's all. You guys all are weak, man. I got a cold up here, okay? Let's try it again. With me. With me. What do they say? Amen. Oh, but there's two of them. All right, let's try one last time. Amen. Amen. Oh, you can do it. All right, thank you. Amen. Amen. It's okay to get a little crazy sometimes, all right? Amen. Amen. God has designed us that way. God has given us emotion. And God uh, oftentimes... The, the proclamation and hearing God's word, we respond in that way. Uh, hear, hearing God's word, uh, let's see. Yeah, okay, so but basically here we see Nehemiah or Ezra talking, Ezra preaching, people's response. Okay, they hear the word, they respond. First respond out of reverence, they stand up. This is probably where the first wave began, right? They stand up. Amen, amen. Then they do what? Right here it follows up. They all bow down and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. You can see it. <laughs> all right. 50,000 people, the first wave. They stand up. They praise God. Amen, amen. And out of reverence and humility, they fall to the ground and worship God. They hear the word of God proclaimed. I got a video because I, I want to show you this video because this is a picture I think I want you to look to see a little bit, because this, this is the excitement I want us to have in response to hearing God's word, in response to hearing God. See, see oftentimes we, you know, we sit there. I, I don't see too many times in the Bible where people are just, they hear the word of God and you know, they sit there and that's cool. I, I, I want us to be you know, a little more excited. All right, Oftentimes when we hear, we're supposed to respond with our actions. God has told us to love the Lord your God. In Mark, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are very good about loving God with all our mind. But it also talks about our strength, our body, to love all the Lord with all our heart. Okay, that oftentimes there needs to be a passion that emulates from, from this, this love that we have for our God. And I love the picture of my son because my son gets excited and passionate about things. Do we? We show a quick video of my son here. Thank you. 
It goes on for that about 10 minutes. But my son, you know what? When he hears music, he gets pretty excited. He starts dancing. He screams. He's very loud when he sings. It's a response to what's going on. We, we want to have the same kind of response. And I understand, you know, we're not, you know, we're not crazy people in here, and I'm, I'm not telling you how to act. But there, when I see, and I see in Scripture, that when people hear the Word of God, and in fact, you know, back in Jesus' day, when somebody was the, the reader of the Scripture that day, he would also be the primary dancer, okay? So they would dance and celebrate that they were reading the Word of God. And so there is much response in Scripture that when they hear the Word of God, they get excited about it. They get excited about it. And we, you know, we're, we're never going to be a church that is getting all crazy, but it's okay. I'm telling you this, it's okay to respond in such a way because we see it in Scripture. They stood out of reverence for God. They raised their hands, a sign of, of receiving blessing for God. And they even fell down, fell down to the ground and worshiped Him. Sign of humility of God, for God. And so this is their response as they hear the word of God. So that, that, is the act, that is the outward response that we see. It continues here. It says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him, and this is what we just read. Then they bowed down and worshiped him, for the Lord worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was being read. He made it clear so the people could understand. Remember, this is kind of basically being translated from Hebrew into Aramaic so they could understand, they could read, and then they could respond to the word. And if you've ever read the law, if you've ever, hopefully you have, if, if you haven't, I encourage you sometime, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, if you read it, you kind of realize you're not all that good. You kind of realize, oh, yeah, you know what, this, this whole uh, stealing, this whole lying, you know what, this whole telling the truth, you start to realize you don't match up to what God wants. See, the God of the universe is perfect. He is holy. There is nothing, nothing, no sin, nothing wrong. And we, I think if we're all pretty honest with ourselves, right, if you're not, look at your spouse again. They'll tell you. We're not. We're not perfect. We're not holy. And, and if you read through the law and you understand the law, it points us basically to our sin. It points us to the fact that we are separated from God, that our flaws, that our errors, that our sin have separated us from God. And the people... Here in, or in, in the book of Nehemiah, they hear the word of God proclaimed, and what is their response? I'm going to skip one verse, but I'm going to come back to it. It says, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. All the people were weeping. They were mourning. Why? Because they heard the word of God proclaimed, and they realized their life didn't match up. They realized the way in which they were living, the things in which they were doing, weren't right. They were wrong. They weren't living according to God's law. And I love that picture, is that when we hear the Word of God and we see the Word of God and the Word of God is taught and we understand it, we realize, man, we don't match up. And this response of mourning, 
is a good thing. Psalm 51 talks about it. God is yet to deny a broken heart and a contrite spirit. God has yet to deny. The sacrifices God require are a broken heart and contrite spirit. God loves that. That, that. that is a thing that God desires from us, that we realize our sin. We realize where we've fallen, where we failed. We come to him and, God, I know, I know I've failed. I know I've screwed up. I know I've done this. He loves that. He loves it. Now, he doesn't want it to end there, right? In fact, you go up a verse right before I read that. It says, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. When we hear the law, when we hear the word of God, our response oftentimes is that, God, I, I don't measure up. But Ezra, Nehemiah said, this is not a day for weeping and mourning. That's not a bad thing. In fact, we're going to read here in a few verses in chapter 9 that they ended up uh, doing that exact, exact thing. But at this time, there was something else that Nehemiah and Ezra wanted to realize. There was a greater reality than their sin. There was a great reality that, yes, they screwed up. Yes, they, they failed. Yes, they've fallen short. But the point and the purpose was the last thing, redeemed. That there was to be redemption of God's people. That God's people were to be restored. And this is the great message of the Bible, isn't it? Isn't this the great message of the gospel? You read the Old Testament, you, and it points to Jesus. And in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus. And the point of the Bible and the point of Scripture is that we can be redeemed. Amen, amen? We can be restored. That yes, we've failed. Yes, we've fallen short. Yes, we screw up. But God has redeemed us. And how has He done it? Through His Son, Jesus. The Old Testament, it points to the cross. It points to Jesus. The New Testament proclaims it. But this is the point of Scripture. This is the point of the Bible. Yes, we've fallen short of God. Yes, we don't measure up. Yes, we've sinned. Yes, we've failed. But God has redeemed His people through Jesus' death on the cross. And the Bible tells us if we believe that in our heart and we confess it with our mouth, we can be saved. We can be saved. That despite how I've screwed up, despite all the, all the junk that I've done, and despite the, the, the stupid, idiotic things I do all the time, God loved me enough to give me Jesus. God loved me enough to redeem me. God loved me enough to bring me into a right relationship with Him, to restore me because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross. In the Old Testament, here even in Nehemiah chapter 8, it points to it. Even in Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a greater reality that needs to be realized. Yes, they were mourning, they were weeping, they heard God's word, they, they, they responded to God's word, they were broken because they realized that they screwed up, they realized they were separated from God. But the greater reality is that we can be restored, that we can be redeemed, that we can be saved. What an amazing thing. The God who created the universe, the God who spoke us into existence, speaks to us today, and he tells us, you 
can be redeemed. You can be redeemed. What an awesome thing. What an awesome God. And we read through Nehemiah, and we see it. We see it in Nehemiah. You see it. You read it in the Old Testament, and it continues in the New Testament. It points to Jesus. The greater reality, it's not our sin, it's not our screw-up, but it's that Jesus has died for us, that God has restored us through his son, Jesus. It ends, and, and we are ending the book of Nehemiah today, and, and Nehemiah doesn't end in chapter 9, but, but we're ending it in chapter 9. It says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of the Israelites' descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins. All right, so here's what's happening. They've realized they've been redeemed. They realize they're restored. Nehemiah points it to them. But a couple days later, they get back together. And now, okay, there is a time. We need to get together. We need to mourn. We need to weep for our sin. And some of us may be in that position. Maybe there's sin in our life. Maybe we've never been restored. Maybe we've never been redeemed. We've never been made right in God's eyes through his son, Jesus. We can. No matter what your sin is, no matter how you screwed up or, or what you've done, you can be restored, you can be redeemed, your relationship with God can be made right. And today is the day of salvation. Your relationship can be restored with God, the creator of the universe. And, and so we need to look at our lives, and, and for us that know and have a relationship with Jesus, oftentimes we need to come to this point where we look at our lives and, and we want to know, we want to understand, and we want to mourn and grieve over the sin in our life. We want to be like Psalm 51, we're a broken heart and contrite spirit. God, he, here it is. Here is my sin. I'm confessing, confessing it to you. I'm grieving. I'm mourning because I want to be restored to you. Not just that I feel guilty about something, but I, I mourn because I've fallen short. That's what, that's what these guys, Israelites, are doing here in the book of Nehemiah. They are mourning. They just don't feel guilty. They're mourning. They're grieving. They've understood they've wronged the God of the universe, and they're responding to that. And we may need to do that in our own lives, to look at our lives. And where have we wronged the God of the universe? We should grieve over that. We should mourn a broken heart, a contrite spirit. That's what God desires. This is my favorite verse, though, right here. Let me read this one. They stood in their places and confessed their sins. All right, so we need to confess their sins, but here's, here's the best part. They confess their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. <laughs> it's awesome to confess the wickedness of their fathers. Well, I'm just kidding. It's all right. They confess their sin and the wickedness of their fathers. All right, there's generations of Israelites here. They're confessing that they have fallen. They've confessing that we've fallen short. We've confessing for generations we have not followed you. But now they want to be restored. Now they want their lives restored, their, their relationship restored with God. And here's the point of the book of Nehemiah. This is the point of it. God's people being restored. God's people being restored. It's a great story of what God does and how a wall is built. But the point of Nehemiah, the heart of the, of the man, Nehemiah, is that God's people are restored. So they stood where they were and read 
from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. That's what we're going to continue to do this morning, is we're going to continue to worship the Lord our God. And I want you guys to be challenged. I want you to be encouraged. But we want to be changed. We want to read from the Word, and we want to respond to it. We want to understand that, that, that we can be made into a right relationship. We, our our re- relationship with God can be restored. Read, respond, and all ultimately to be restored. And so wherever you are this morning, understand that God, the God of the universe, the God that spoke you into existence, the God that spoke this world into existence, wants to know you, he wants to have a relationship with you, and he's speaking to you. He's speaking to you right here. We're going to take the bread and the juice, and as Nick and the band comes back up, we're going to have a chance and an opportunity to worship, to respond to who God is and what he's done. And remember this, as we worship, we're responding to the creator of the universe, the God of the universe that spoke this world into existence, the God of the universe that redeemed and restored you to a right relationship with him through Jesus. God has redeemed us, he's restored us, and he's done it through his son Jesus. And if you know Jesus and you have that relationship with him, we encourage you, come up, take the bread, take the juice, and remember this great thing that God has done for us. If you don't know him, we want to encourage and challenge you today. Seek him. Today, seek to know who he is, who God says Jesus is in the word, who God tells us who he is and what he's done in the Bible. I would, call, I would challenge you to, to ask somebody. If you don't know, ask them. Ask them, what, who is this Jesus? What has he done? If you know Jesus but aren't in a right relationship with him, maybe there's sin in your life, and you need to be restored, get right. A broken heart, a contrite spirit, he has yet to deny. No matter what you've done or where you are, God wants to restore your relationship with him. And get it right. Even this morning, you know, if you need to grab somebody, they did it right here in the book of Nehemiah. They confessed their sins to one another. Maybe you need to do that. You know, come and grab me. If you need to confess sin. You need to tell somebody about your sin so you can be, not that that gets you right by telling me, ultimately, obviously, we're confessing it to God, but they confess sins to one another. Why? So they can be challenged. They don't want to keep doing it. You need to tell others, hey, I need to get my life right. I've screwed up. I've failed. We want to be restored. We want uh, to have a right relationship with God. So this morning, as we continue to worship, remember who God is and what he's done and respond accordingly. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this book of Nehemiah. God, we thank you that even in the book of Nehemiah, we get a picture of of who you are and what you want. We get a picture that, that what you want in the story of the Bible is you redeeming, you restoring, you saving. And this morning, we want to be reminded of that. And as we take the bread and we take the juice, we're reminded of the theme of the Bible. We're reminded of the whole point 
of Scripture that Jesus Christ restores us, that Jesus Christ redeems us. God, we thank you for this great thing that you've done in giving us Jesus. We thank you for the great price that he paid in, in, in becoming a man and going to the cross and dying for us. But God, ultimately we thank you that death and sin was conquered, that three days later he rose again. God, as we hear scripture this morning, as we hear your word proclaimed, help us not just to hear it and move on, but help us to hear it and respond. Help us to hear it and live differently. Help us to hear it and want to worship you, want to pursue you, want to chase Jesus, want to be like Jesus. That's our goal. That's our passion. So this morning, thank you for Jesus. Remind us of what you have done in giving us this gift of your son. We ask it and we pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. in the Old Testament, they, they raised their hands. Let's, let's raise our hands together. They, they did it to receive a blessing from God. And we're not talking about some sort of physical blessing, but a, a spiritual blessing from God. As we want to see God move in our lives. We want to see God moves, move in the lives of this church and the lives around us. So let, let's pray together. God, we, we ask you to do a work in us. We thank you for the, the very words of God have been spoken. You've given us your very words. God, help us to treasure that. Help us to be excited about it. Help us to be like that video we watched a few weeks ago and, and people for the first time hearing and seeing and being able to read your word in their own language. God, we have that. We have that. Help us to be passionate about that. And God, as we go and we leave here, help us to love your word. Help us to love you. Help us to pursue you above all, to pursue your kingdom above all. We pray it and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for coming.